Digital Drift episode 25, recorded Monday the 28th of April 2014, Planet of the Apes 2001, or Marky Mark and the Monkey Bunch. One day they'll tell a story, and some will say it was just a fairy tale, about a human who came from the stars and changed our world. Where freedom is history. Where am I? What is this place? Get him out! And get him clean! Brutality is law. Rise on your master. The powerful rule by fear. Next you'll be telling us these beasts have a soul. <laughs> is there a soul in there? It's disgusting the way we treat humans. How the hell did they get like this? What other way would they be? They see you on the street, they kill you on sight. You stay here, you are dead. Trevor, are you from? United States Air Force, I'm going back. Some humans have escaped. Is there another way out of the city? I can show you the way. They travel with a... Declare martial law. We underestimate this human. The hell are they? Your story is spreading through the villages. They all want to see this human who defies the apes. Four division! Four battle ready! It's over. There's no help coming. You came. Stand the call to march! Get me the spaceman. Kill them all. Deep discussion and entertaining analysis of movies, games, and media culture. Welcome to the Digital Drift. Hey. This is the one directed by Tim Burton starring Mark Wahlberg. Rather than having crafted my own synopsis on this, I'm just going to go with what it says on Wikipedia because I didn't understand it. I think I understood it the first time, less the second time, and not at all the third time. (laughs) So it gets progressively less comprehensible. It gets progressively Every single time. In 2029, aboard the United States Air Force Space Station Oberon, Leo Davidson, played by Mark Wahlberg, masquerading as a hat stand, works closely with primates who are trained for space missions. His favorite simian co-worker is a chimpanzee named Pericles. With a deadly electromagnetic storm approaching the station, a small space pod piloted by Pericles is used to probe the storm. Why would you probe the storm? Why wouldn't you just go, just batten down the hatches? It's a goddamn storm. Yeah. <clears throat> Pericles' pod heads into the storm and disappears, against all odds. Against his commanding officer's orders, Leo takes the second pod and goes in pursuit of Pericles. By the way, at this point, he puts on his helmet like a little child playing dress-up like an astronaut. It's like it's not actually a pressurised containment helmet, it's just a hat that you wear that looks like a helmet. Which, later on in the film, he proves not to even need. No, nah, he, he could get into that... Um, spaceship, which is, by the way, practically interstellar in its abilities, this pod. You know, wearing a, a Hubark whittled out of seashells. Entering the storm, Leo loses contact with the Oberon, like that matters, and crashes on a planet called Ashlar in the year 5021. We never get told it's called Ashlar, or that it's the year 5021, unless we're paying attention to the displays. He discovers that the world is ruled by humanoid apes who can speak human language and treat human beings as slaves. When we say human language, it's American. Let's face it. Leo comes across a female chimpanzee named Ari, Hannah Bonham Carter, who protests the awful treatment humans receive, especially those in the audience. No! Bazing! 
Ari decides to buy Leo and a female slave named Dina, Estella Warren. Now, let, let's describe Estella Warren's character in this film, shall we? Hang on. Let's see, we've got it here in the cast descriptions. Estella Warren is Dina, a curvaceous female slave who, like Ari, develops a romantic attraction to Leo. Okay, that's her character. Uh, to have them work as servants in the house of her father, Senator Sandar, played by David Warner. Leo escapes his cage and frees other humans. Ari sees them, but Leo manages to convince Ari to join the human rebellion against the apes. General Fade, played super aggressively and intensely by Tim Roth, and Colonel Attar, played with noble warrior spirit by Michael Clark Duncan. Attar. Artar. March, ape warriors in pursuit of the humans. Leo discovers Kalima, the temple of Samos, who's chimp Jesus. A forbidden but holy site for the apes. Kalima turns out to be the remains of the Oberon, the space station, uh, which has crashed into the planet's surface and looks ancient. The name Kalima coming from the sign Ka'orshan Live Animals. <laughs> The relevant letters being the only ones not covered in dust and the apes being too dumb to actually scrape the dust off. According to the computer logs, the station has been... Which, by the way, they work. This this station has been there for thousands of years and it works because nuclear. That's all we need to know. It's nuclear. And that's why the screens are still working because they're nuclear powered. And that's why they're showing static because nuclear. Leo deduces that when he enters the vortex, he was pushed forward in time. While the uh, when we say Leo deduces, we mean Mark Wahlberg stares at a screen and looks dumb. He enters the <laughs> get used to that, folks. He does it for about two hours. He was pushed forward in time while the Oberon searching after him was not crashing on the planet long be- long before he did. So uh, idiot leaves spaceship, goes through time hole, comes back. Spaceship has long since pl- crashed on this planet, which. Uh, if we're to understand it, is right next to Saturn. I mean, it's next to a ringed planet. I, d- I, I don't get this. I, I can't even finish this. I can't even finish this description of what happens in this movie because it doesn't make any sense. Is it that this planet isn't part of our solar system? But if you go through the time hole, then it you get to another solar system where you get to this planet. Yeah, I think so. It's basically yeah. this is, this time hole is next to Saturn. Yeah. You go through the time hole and it takes you out um, next, next to this planet. The planet, what was it called again? Ashal, oh, Ash, Ashla. Wait, but, but what? That, that doesn't explain the ending, though. Okay. No. No, uh, while the Oberon... So, yeah, sorry, uh, Leo deduces when he entered the vortex, he was pushed forward in time, while the Oberon searching after him was not, crashing on the planet long before he did. The Oberon's log reveals that the apes on board, led by Samos, the chimp Jesus, organized a mutiny and took control of the vessel after it crashed. The human and ape survivors of the struggle left the ship, and their descendants are the people Leo has encountered since landing. So basically, the human survivors bred and created this bunch of pretty but stupid tribal people and who appear to have devolved over over thousands of years and are I mean they're they're pretty simple people they can talk and they have beautiful perfect teeth and yeah. you know faces with a bit of dirt on them but basically they they you know they they're, they're attractively dressed in like even more complex uh, leather clothes than their um 68 version um predecessors and the apes because they were like, I think he says at the beginning they're like genetically altered apes, so they're smarter than regular apes. 
um, their descendants got even smarter and are about as smart as the Romans because that's what their society most resembles. Um, I've, I've actually cut out the end of this because it's just apes and humans fight. It goes on forever. Then uh, Chimp comes down and it's uh, Pericles, his buddy. And all of the apes think that he's Chimp Jesus and they all bow down. Marky Mark goes back into the ship to look for something or other. He's chased by, oh yeah, he's trying to, he's going with Pericles. Uh, he's chased by General Thade, who's like, I'm not having any of this. They fight. There's a gun involved. Um, and then uh, Thade gets locked away inside this, um, like, cockpit, shoots a lot, but then basically is unable, like, no one will let him out because he's mean and he doesn't have any friends. Um, and that's it. He's beaten. The rest of the apes are all uh, willing to live at peace with humans because their chimp Jesus has returned. And um, Attar says uh, that uh, humans, the humans and apes who died at this particular battle will all be buried in graves that are unmarked, um, thus not distinguishing ape from humans. So basically there's, there's a sort of a strangled truce has developed because chimp Jesus turned up. Yeah, and yeah. and of course said nothing because he can't talk. Yeah, because he's a chimp, just a regular chimp. Um, and then Marky Mark gets back into the pod, the escape pod, and then goes up out of the planet's atmosphere, which I'm not even sure escape pods can... Uh, let's say they can in 2029, because that's when it's set. Um, and that this escape pod is also outfitted with oxygen and fuel and yep. food. Oh, yeah, tons of that. And then he goes back through the time hole, emerges next to Saturn, and then he flies back to Earth in seconds, just seconds. It's like, well, how, how does he get to Earth? Well, he pushes a lever forward and um, gets to Earth. And it's, I mean, that's what confused me because I was thinking, like, you know, he just went round Saturn and then he came back and, like, the planet Earth was there or something. I don't think I was thinking. I think I just, in 2001, I had my head in my hands going, when is this going to be over? Um, I enjoyed it more this time. Because I couldn't enjoy it less. But I at least got some of the references this time. And I, I could see the heritage. And uh, so, so he, he gets back to Earth, lands in the middle of Washington, and goes to the Lincoln Memorial and finds that it's this General Thade, that Tim Roth, um, an ape, he just defeated 3,000 years in the future on a planet in a different solar system so far away from Earth that you can only get to it by the interstellar equivalent of a dinghy. A light-speed dinghy. I mean, it's, 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 it's a pod. This isn't the Millennium Falcon. But even if it was, the, 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 the interspatial geography doesn't even make sense. If this is that planet, what... But... Again, just like the original Planet of the Apes, this whole thing kind of... It falls apart if the... Well, okay, right, now, hang on. The original Planet of the Apes, if you know the twist, works the whole way through. It's just that everyone's surprised when they find out the twist at the end. It's consistent with that. This film sort of makes sense as long as the twist doesn't happen. But then when the twist does happen, it doesn't make any sense at all. And then it collapses like a flan in a cupboard. Okay. However, reading up on the production of it, I'm surprised it even made this much sense. I'm only going to read you a bit of this. But 
It started in the late 80s. They've been knocking around since uh, what? So it was 73, the last one um, finished. So let's say 15 years later in 88, they're going, we really should do a sixth ape film. Do we go back to it? Do we continue with this chronology? Do we start it again? Um, and previous directors throughout this process between 88 and 2001, uh, directors attached to this project included Adam Rifkin, Chuck Russell, Philip Noyce, Oliver Stone, Peter Jackson, James Cameron, Christopher Columbus, Roland Emmerich, Michael Bay, and then Tim Burton. And it was going to star for the longest time, most of the 90s, in fact, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the 90s equivalent of Charlton Heston. I'm only going to read you these two excerpts from the very long drawn out production notes in terms of what the fuck happened between 88 and 2001. 20th Century Fox president Craig Baumgarten was impressed by Adam Rifkin's uh, filmmaking with Never on Tuesday. In 1988, Rifkin was brought in this to the studio to pitch ideas for films. Rifkin, being a fan of the 68 Planet of the Apes, felt it best to continue the film series. Having independent film experience, I promised I could write and direct a huge-looking film for a reasonable price and a budget like Aliens. Fox commissioned Rifkin to write what amounted to a sequel, but not a sequel to the fifth film, an alternate sequel to the first film. So we're talking like how Superman Returns cancels out three and four? Mm. Adam Rifkin clearly, just like us, saw Beneath the Planet of the Apes and went, what the fuck? So this is technically Planets of the Apes. Ah, nice. This is like the film that it could have been. I, I'd have really liked to see this one, actually, now I'm reading it. He took influences from Spartacus, with the storyline being the ape empire has reached its Roman era. A descendant... Is it like Would that be post-firearms? Because that's the thing. I said it was like... The first uh, Planet of the Apes was kind of sort of 19th century colonial. It's very kind of 19th century by way of Kashyyyk. But, uh, but yeah, they've, they've got sort of like Victorian firearms. Actually, like late Victorian. They're, they're, um, they're they've, automatics, yeah, aren't they've, they? They've got proper rifles. Yeah. Uh, a descendant of Charlton Heston's character named Duke would eventually lead a human slave revolt against the oppressive Romanesque apes, led by General Izan. So you remember what um, Pierre Boulle was going to say about the planet of the humans? Mm. human revolt against the apes that's yeah. that eventually that's this it eventually sort of like, like this that idea came through the human revolt um a real sword and sandal spectacular monkey style gladiator gladiator if you will did the same movie without the ape costumes it was going to be titled Return to the Planet of the Apes. The project was to be put on fast track and almost entered pre-production. Rick Baker was hired to design the prosthetic makeup with Danny Elfman composing the film score. Tom Cruise and Charlie Sheen were in contention for the lead role. The irony there is Charlie Sheen played the parody version of Tom Cruise in Hot Shots. So they couldn't decide at that point Do we whether want the they real wanted Tom serious or parody. Or parody. I can't accurately describe in words the utter euphoria I felt knowing that I, Adam Rifkin, <laughs> was going to be resurrecting the Planet of the Apes. See, this, I love this, oh, but it sounded like... I just feel bad for him. Yeah, it, it sounded like he really wanted to do it, and he really had some good ideas. I went, ugh. It all seemed too good to be true. I soon found out it was. Days before the film was to be commencing pre-production, new studio executives arrived at Fox, which caused creative differences between Rifkin and the studio, in terms of the fact that the Rifkin was creative, the studio weren't. Mm. 
Rifkin was commissioned to rewrite the script through various drafts. The project was abandoned until Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh pitched their own idea. So let's say this was uh, at some point between Meet the Feebles and Brain Dead, or Dead Alive if you're American. This would have been. Um, so yeah, Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh, years before Lord of the Rings at this stage. Uh, and they pitched their own idea. Now it's clear Peter Jackson was a big fan of the Apes films. Uh, they wanted the apes to be going through a renaissance. In the story, the ape government becomes concerned over the new artworks. The humans are revolting. Well, they managed to get that right in this one. And the liberal apes shelter a half-human, half-ape. Again, again, they went back to the idea of, like, sort of a crossbreed. Uh, that, that's, I think, the point at which the executives start to get yeah. queasy. Are you talking bestiality? No, not exactly bestiality. Uh, Roddy McDowell who died in 1998, so he still had many years left in him to be able to be a part of this, was enthusiastic about their proposal and agreed to play a Leonardo da Vinci-type character that they had written for him. However, the executive that Peter Jackson spoke to was not a fan of the Planet of the Apes series and was seemingly unaware of Roddy McDowell's involvement in the series. Sorry, who's this guy? Is Roddy McDowell. Who's Roddy McDowell when he's at home? I don't know, like the, sta- the the standalone star of the Planet of the Apes films? That was Charlton Heston. Yeah, sure it was. And Jackson turned his attention back to heavenly creatures, and, well, he should. Oh, that means that this would have been after Brain Dead then. If he was working on heavenly creatures, yeah, yeah it would have been. This would have been mid-90s. I wonder if that's, this is where he got his taste for King Kong. Well, no, he got his taste for King Kong when he was a kid. Long ah. We'll be do- uh, monkey fans. By the way, we're doing King Kong. Don't don't you worry. We'll be doing that. Uh, 1994. So this would have been like 93. I'm gonna go ahead and say that they probably were like immediately following Jurassic Park. Fox went. Oh, we got to do this, but with apes. <sighs> Fox became frustrated. Right. This is many years later at this point. Uh, let's just skip ahead. Fox became frustrated by the distance between their approach and Hayes, because this is who that they were they had on at this point, interpretation of Oliver Stone's ideas. As producer Don Murphy put it, Terry wrote a Terminator and Fox wanted the Flintstones. Fox studio executive Dylan Sellers felt the script could be improved by comedy. Uh, what if Robinson finds himself in Apeland and the apes are trying to play baseball, but they're missing one element, like the pitcher or something? Sellers continued. Robinson knows what they're missing and he shows them and they all start playing baseball. Sellers refused to give up the baseball scene and when Hayes turned in the next script, Sans Baseball, Sellers fired him. So basically he was like, where's my fucking baseball scene? I want a baseball scene. Dissatisfied with Sellers' decision to fire Hayes, Noyce wisely left Return of the Apes in February 1995 to work on The Saint, unwisely. As I recall, The Saint was botched by the studio as well. They cut like 45 minutes out of it, and the film thus made no sense in its final cut. This is I specifically read you that bit, because to go forwards again, um, one of the, the original ending of this film was going to be... Leo Davidson crash lands at Yankee Stadium witnessing the apes playing baseball. So I am getting very strong images of John Peters here with his, I've got to have a robot spider. It doesn't matter if it doesn't fit. I I want my robot spider. These fucking high chair tyrant executives. Somebody actually said on our forum, why don't you do a positive story about executives for a change? I'm looking. I can't find one. I keep coming across these horror stories about how they fuck up projects. Oh, look, just send me one. 
Send me in the direction of one where uh, executives and the way that executives work actually has really beneficial... Woman who supported... The lady who supported Serenity. But that's not how executives work. That's going against the grain. Okay, Bob Igor from uh, Disney... He's a perfect example of an executive, or, or, or um, Michael Eisner, for example. These are executives who are not to be trusted, yet sometimes what they do, sometimes when they talk, you actually realise, no, there is a person under there. Through their actions, you get wonderful films, sometimes. And then also you get, in case of Eisner, lots and lots of straight-to-video Disney sequels. The thing is, it's it, it's not... You can't really take what executives do as individual actions they are working on a continuum so you get the executives at new line that supported peter jackson and got lord of the rings pushed through and then made the man nearly die over trying to get the hobbit done yeah and before you start feeling sorry for mr dylan sellers uh, he very shortly after this in a drunken stupor, crashed his car, killing a much-loved colleague and earning jail time and was thus off the project, proving himself to be a danger to all mankind. Anyway, so yeah, Chris Columbus was going on for a while, and then uh, that was when uh, Schwarzenegger was attached to the project, and then Chris Columbus went off to do Jingle All the Way, taking Schwarzenegger with him. So Jingle All the Way is the reason that Schwarzenegger was not in this film. Thank you, Jingle All the Way. Although actually not. Everything has a you know what? I would have preferred to see Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Leo in this film than Mark Wahlberg. He is fucking awful in this. He's always awful. Now I've heard people say, oh, you're too hard on Mark Wahlberg. There's, he, he's great in The Yards, or he's great in The Departed. He veers back and forth between tedious and cretinous. It's one or the other or both at the same time. I would posit this Or, about in the case of The Departed, tedious, cretinous, and obnoxious. Unfortunately, this shithole has more fucking leaks than the Iraqi Navy. Fuck yourself. I'm tired from fucking your wife. How's your mother? Good, she's tired from fucking my father. You're a worker. You rise fast. Like a 12-year-old's dick. Thank you, Sergeant. Don't ask me to review Scorsese movies. I hate Scorsese movies. I would posit this about Mark Wahlberg. His performances are exactly the same every time. What influences how people take them is what's going on around him. Context. So he turns in a wooden, terrible actor... uh, performance in boogie nights nights, but because of what's going on around him you totally buy that it totally works when he does the same thing in the happening no my idea was you know i just want to name i wanted so we can cut glass you know like razor sharp razor sharp right yeah well when i close my eyes i see this thing it's like this big sign and the name is in like bright blue neon lights with like purple outline and this name is just so bright and so sharp that the sign, it just blows up because the name is just so powerful. Everything okay? Yeah. How you doing? How come you're not out there? Because Willie's talking with everybody and I just, just wanted to get away for a second. You and I'm still okay together? Yeah. You're thinking about maybe settling down. Be so busy with work right now. You know, I was really sorry to hear about your father. He was a good man. I don't know. I don't know. 
toxin? The toxin is affecting them. Are those people killing themselves? You were with the private. What do we do? We need to do something. Just let me think. I need a second. They released it? We're not near the road. We can't just stand here as an uninvolved observer. I need a second, okay? Just give me a second. We're not going to be one of those assholes on the news who watches a crime happen and not do something. We're not assholes. Just a second. There were children in that group. Elliot, please tell us what to do. I need a second, okay? Why can't anybody give me a goddamn second? A couple Charles Bukowskis. A couple of Bruce Doyevskis. Maybe a Mike Brugoslowski. Perhaps a Teddy Bruski. That's a good one. You know what? I think I too want a Martina Never Tabruski. Oh, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. That doesn't no, work. No, no, no. Don't ruin it. No. That totally works. No, no. Yeah, it does. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't the name work. has to have a ski at the end of it, and you just put Brewski at the end of Martina Navasolova, so. Well, I just thought we were saying funny names. No, no. It has it has to have a ski at the end of it. Otherwise, where's the challenge? You know, if there's no ski at the end of the root word, then we would just be idiots saying nonsense. That's the first time I've ever made a movie that my kids wanted to be a part of or excited about me being a part of. But, uh, no, I really did it because of Michael. You know, it was like we had such a great experience working the first time uh, on Pain and Gain. And I just, I love the way he works. I love everything about the experience. I love the fact that I get to learn from one of the most talented directors in the business. And, you know, having aspirations to hopefully direct my own film in the future, you know, who better to learn from and watch. This is Mark Wahlberg talking to eight-year-olds in Pain and Gain. All right, Benson, build your price. You got no homos in this gang, right? All right, good. And if you bastards like girls listen to the lawn dog, no hottie can resist Opex. You want to chase tail with me in South Beach on my puppy love? Huh? Or you want to look at your little nuts in the mirror and see if you got any peach fuzz? All right, good. Wow. Hey, guys. You wow. like it? Yeah. Oh, I love the sexy costume. <laughs> you guys like that? You like that fine Russian pussy? That was mine. I gave it to him. Like nothing. Right, if we're going to roll, we're going to chase tail. We got to do it my way, Okay. No pickle licking around here. For me, he's kind of like the anti-Andy Circus. If Andy Circus is in something, I will go, ooh. If he's in something with performance capture, it's unmissable. If Mark Wahlberg's in something, I will have to look for other reasons to go to see it because it is the colossal drag factor of having him in this production. It's like... But yeah, but Mark Wahlberg's in it, and it's going to be horrible as a result. If anybody's ever seen The Happening, that's what every Mark Wahlberg film feels like to me. He and M. Night Shyamalan are tailor-made for each other. Did we ever finish watching Ted? No, we're still about 25 minutes from the end. He can't even do... he, He can't do comedy... He can't do comedy opposite Seth MacFarlane as a bear. I mean, that's easy. Anyone could do that. But who's the least funny person in the world who's not active, actively trying to do comedy? Like know. the most serious actor in the this world. This is Pink Hippopotamuses. The only people that are coming to mind are people who are really funny. Yeah, no. Don't think of Pink Hippopotamuses or Mark Wahlberg. Uh, thanks for seeing me. I'm here because I'm thinking of... Uh, I'm thinking of doing some comedy. Oh, right, like a, a comedy movie. No, on stage, stand-up comedy, live comedy of some kind. Wow. I'm a, I'm a funny guy, aren't I? I'm funny, right? Yeah, definitely. It is interesting, actually, because I'm trying to think of the least funny actors I can think of, and they're all comedians. 
all all attempting to be comedians, they're all guilty of the anti-laugh. Like you sit and watching them flail about on screen and and feel the opposite of laughing, like you're shriveling up inside. Like uh, Dane Cook, for example, he is one of the least funny people on the planet for me. And and you know, to other people, he's hilarious. It's interesting. We've been talking about comedy and and how relative it is on the uh, the forums as well. And uh, the the concept of doing a podcast where we describe the secret to comedy and the code for it. It sounds like the least funny thing ever. Also, if we knew, we'd probably yeah, we, be making comedy. Yeah, we'd be comedy geniuses. We don't know. I know what makes me laugh. It's very rarely what makes other people laugh. Anyway, back to the comedy stylings of Mark Wahlberg. Let's uh, no, back to Mark Wahlberg. Who, uh, I mean, if he was an animal, he'd be a pig. There's, there's no doubt about it. He just, just that blank face staring out of the. No, actually, because a pig has more character than Mark Wahlberg. He'd be a. What, what, what's, what's an animal? Which is say it depends no, on the pig. No character um, whatsoever. Just a, a slab face. A cow. Yeah, he'd be a cow. You and, really don't like him, do you? Oh God, I. Oh, oh God, just hives. Anyway, um, despite Mark Wahlberg. There are some quite good bits about this film. In fact, it's it kind of ranks higher than several of the uh, Apes films that, that we've uh, been discussing in, in previous weeks. It's definitely better than... Battle. Hang on a minute. I was going to say it's definitely better than two. It's, but it's I... better than Beneath, for me. So much better than Beneath. There's so suppose, there's yeah. nothing to, 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 to say is good about Beneath. There's nothing good about Beneath. There's nothing good about Battle. There are elements of it, spikes and high points of craftsmanship, which are actually on an empirical scale in terms of like makeup, for example, superior. It's Rick Baker, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Uh, this guy's an absolute professional. He he worked on Greystoke. He worked on uh, Gorillas in the Mist. The, I think he worked on the 70s King Kong. It's superior to the original Apes films. Mm, and, definitely. And so, it's not perfect, and it sure as hell isn't wetter standard. But as let's face it, this is the last ever Planet of the Apes film where it's going to be live actors inside ape prosthetic suits. Yeah, and one thing that I, I actually found impressing me despite myself was the fact that um, they were almost... I think the helmets kind of destroyed it a little bit for me, but they almost looked completely believable as apes. Yeah, when they take off his helmet, he looks more like an ape. Absolutely. And yet, you can see it, for the most part, um, the actors behind the masks very clearly. Yeah. Uh, You can tell who they are. If you take the original Planet of the Apes, they took the apes so seriously, and they spoke so um, matter-of-factly, and had their exchanges with with so little actual ape interaction, uh, that it's humans that look like apes in this these are apes that talk like humans but behave like apes yeah they actually have ape mannerisms and if you look at particularly um uh helen and bonham carter did this uh very well that um she, when she's just standing there she has this little twitch about her that that apes do they yeah. move their heads from side to side in almost like a bird-like kind of way yeah the the the, the actors to their credit get into it. Paul Giamatti as well specifically was weaving left and right and doing a lot of clever things with his arms mm. and uh, they, they thus convince as this sort of ape-human hybrid. I, I never for, for one moment didn't think that's Paul Giamatti in a suit. No. 
But at the same time, they were more entertaining to watch than a lot of the fairly stiff apes in the previous films. Yeah. That said, although the the look was much improved and particularly the um with the background apes the performance was improved um i thought that the the characters the central characters particularly left a lot to be desired mm. having got used to um what Cornelius kim hunter and, yeah. and um and roddy mcdowell made of um zira and cornelius and caesar, uh, and caesar. It, 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 oh god so much better even than even the the really good actors in this even paul giamatti even helena bonham carter they just had so little to work with having said that if you go back to the original what they're discussing how they put on the makeup and, and how they got them them into their ape suits and prosthetics um, they were talking about how at some point halfway through the process they actually got in actual chimpanzees and I was just thinking uh, this is in the documentary uh, yes this is like the first thing you do, you study chimpanzees but that's the thing, in Planet of the Apes 68 it's symbolic apes, it's mm. kind of incidental that they're apes they're humans it's Every, allegory. They don't have to yeah. look exactly like apes. They don't have to uh, uh, act or look exactly like apes. These are um, they're, they're wearing ape suits. But in this, to make it more interesting, that they had, had clearly studied uh, um, the, the, the movements of primates, and and so it was more alive. And uh, to their, like I said, to their credit, uh, that was more impressive. But they have completely, almost completely, dispensed with any feeling of allegory. Oh, there's no allegory to this. This is a deeply stupid film. It's very on the surface. There's like any politics that gets brought in is like a child would think of. Slavery is bad. Yeah, no fucking shit. You pointed out. Uh, I, I mentioned that they, uh, if we're going to make an allegory for slavery, because this at times feels a little bit like conquest of the planet of the apes, but reversed. So the humans are, are waiting on apes and are. Because in the original Planet of the Apes, they're hunting humans, they're executing them, they're experimenting on them. You can't bring that to a family audience in 2001 and not make the apes monstrous. You can't have them do that. So if you have them be sneer, like, uh, compare them with the Roman Empire and how they dehumanized their defeated foes and turned them into slaves and saw them as a lower caste, that kind of works better in terms of um, where you position your humans. It almost wasn't really a, the, the, the debate as to whether they could talk or not. It wasn't even there. It, it, or even whether they were intelligent or not. It was simply that apes were superior to humans. They do have... Um, there's a brief conversation about um, whether humans have the potential for culture or, um, you know, any any kind of um, higher-level thinking. But, yeah, it, it's not... Their humanity, for want of a better word, is not really being questioned in this. In the original Planet of the Apes, the, the humans are acting like animals. They don't talk. They don't even really communicate, not even with each other, that we see. Um, they are wearing clothes, but I think they're supposed to be approximating just like scraps of, of um, skins and, and fabric that they've pulled onto themselves. Whereas in this, they, there's clear... Um, design and intent in the clothes that they've made for themselves. Ari, Helena Bonham Carter's character, has a, a she has some pet humans, I suppose, for want of a better term, 
um, she has a scarf that some of them have made for her. And mm. She's trying to point out that, look, they are skilled. They can be taught to make things. Um, so it, it is very much about, you know, they, they, they aren't debating the fundamental intelligence of humans. It's just where in our society are they positioned? Yeah. Both films are guilty of not thinking too deeply into it. This one at least does some superficial work towards painting a bit more of a, a believable picture of a, a, a more clear hierarchy and a more clear harmony, albeit an uneasy one, which, again, is more resplendent of uh, conquest than the original Planet of the Apes. However, it doesn't go beneath that. And when you start thinking about it, it there are many, many themes which they could capitalize on. And they go, no time for that. Let's make with the funny, funny and with the action sequences. You pointed out that there is a, if anyone's out there seen Django Unchained, there is a house human who I think they uh, like for two seconds say, oh, you've got particularly fine clothes and you're the one who, who sort of orders us around. And then they leave that one behind because we're not touching slavery with a hundred foot pole. But the apes are more animalistic in this one. They run along on all fours. They leap about all over the place. There's some quite clumsy wire work, but they've made them a lot more dynamic in terms of what you're seeing on screen. Which, considering this came two years after The Matrix, you couldn't really have apes standing there bickering with each other like the original. Well, no. You need to see them move. But, yeah, yeah, the the scenes where particularly... um, Tim Roth's character, General Thade, is um, bouncing around. It's not even him. No, it's Darth Maul. It's, uh, yeah, they got Ray, Ray Park, Park to come and do it. Um, and uh, that this this struck me as being a little bit weird, actually, but I suppose it's the effect of the wires. But when he jumped, it was like a CGI jump. There was very little weight to him. Yeah. So when Thade lands on somebody and is supposed to be very, very heavy, it, there's a discrepancy there. Chuck Heston makes an appearance uh, as a... Does he actually ever get uh, called this? His name is Zaius. Really? No, he's Thade's father. Yeah. So he he just calls him father, I think. He's Thade's father, uh, and uh, he he gets to say, you know, all back in time we had guns. See this thing? He breaks a pot and there's a gun in there, a gun full of sand, and of course it works fine. And um, he gets to say, God damn them all to hell, I die. I don't think the gun still works. That's the gun that's at the very end. It's the one Fade brings with him. It's not the one that uh, Marky Mark put in his butt crack. That was the destroyer. No, um, he takes uh, Leo takes the one from um, the pack that's in the pod. That oh yeah, um, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Pericles arrives in, okay. and um, he he snatches Fade snatches it I was off. Gonna say, it could be I, a nuclear gun. Something has occurred to me actually, or, or it started to occur. Why to me. Why would you give an ape a gun? No, no, no. no, no so why would you give Pericles a gun? Seriously. Well, I'm assuming he just had a life support pack in his pod and they were all the same. Really? So they wouldn't go, let's give the chimp the chimp life support pack as opposed to the human life support support pack. pack. I mean, like... Well, that's too complicated. This is NASA here. You know, right. this, this is no, 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 no. Hang on. This is a NASA that hired Mark Wahlberg. Everything else about them is totally unbelievable. Billions well, of space but dollars. How can they be sure that it's going to press the phone at the right moment? Because it's got headphones on. <laughs> <laughs> there is actually a human in one of the cages in this who looks totally like Hal Pilkington. <laughs> I mean, he has hair, but he's just stood there with his gormless look on his face and he just looks like Carl Pilkington. 
Linda Harrison, who's one of the women in the cart. Um, oh, I think I recognize her now. She, she was the older woman who kept sort of looking at uh, Mark Wahlberg. Um, she was oh, and telling him to shush. Yeah, she, she, was, she was shaking her head at him. Yeah, she may as well just have smacked her, her, her hand over his mouth as is. So you, you shush. Um, she was Nova in the original Planet. So she was the one who they they went to brand after Deanna. Gotcha. Yeah. And there's also a little sprog in this. It's only for a bit, but like she's in there and like they put her in a cage. And this is a kid who's so young, she clearly doesn't know what the hell's going on and looks scared, but not very scared. She almost seems like she's in a coma or a trance or something. And as I said, get that thing out of there. It doesn't know how to act. It's just messing up the whole scene. And you said, yeah, get rid of the kid too. <laughs> he spent most of this film ripping on Mark Wahlberg, and he deserves it. We did. I mean, he's got nothing to say and nothing to do. But you pointed out that he's one of these characters that, like, the, the, it starts off like he gets a video postcard from home and all of his many friends are going, hey, Leo, we love you. You're awesome. When are you going to get a girl, Leo? And then it cuts out. And then, uh, so, you know, he loves chimps. The chimps love him. He's got loads of friends. He's got cat-like reflexes. Then when he's on yeah. the planet, um, you know, both both the female leads fancy him. Uh, right, yeah, and this this was something that I had a real, like... Well, I, see, I say that, I kind of got annoyed at the time, but then it just got subsumed into everything else that annoyed me about this film. But, you've right, you've got two female leads, one of whom is Helena Bonham friggin carter and basically they both adore mark Wahlberg so much well that i don't buy (laughs) whenever you you have scenes where one of them shows leo um sort of any kind of physical affection and then it cuts to the other one looking sad or resentful Mm. or angry or in some other way showing that the the motivation behind any female character must be sexual attraction to the lead male, only the lead male, note, the, the alpha chap, um, and also uh, anger and frustration at any other female who appears to think that she's in with a crack at him. And I was watching as the, the group that assembles, which includes both of them, crosses the desert to get to the site of the downed ship and... Never once is the Bechdel test passed. Even when Ari <laughs> saves Deanna's life, they don't exchange a single frigging word. Because, of course, as we all know, females communicate only in meaningful looks and gestures. Uh, they don't actually talk to each other. Um, but then I realised that nobody in that group really talks to each other. They all communicate through the conduit that is Mark Wahlberg. Everyone only talks to him. Every, whenever he's not on screen, people all have to be asking, where's Mark Wahlberg? It's utterly ridiculous. He's, he's a totally non-entity of a character. And yet, everything revolves around him. Which I suppose you could argue is, is a similar setup that they had for Charlton Heston in the first one. Yeah. They, they play the switcheroo by bringing back Pericles as uh, Ape Jesus, but let's face it, it's Marky Mark. Everybody scream! Get up! Clear the way or you're getting knocked down because Marky Mark is in your town. I'm taking over P-Brain so you better refrain. Your stanky breath made me laugh but I'm back again. Dropping straight up hip-hop, tricky rock, non-stop. You got beef, sucker, you can get dropped. Don't 
Buster down and I don't play around Marky Mark is here and it's time to get down And that doesn't make any sense. Pericles turns up and they all go, oh my God, it's Seamoss and it, this is his second coming. He says nothing to them. Right, I tell you this now. If Jesus turned up on Sunset Strip and just said nothing, people would get disenamored of him very, very quickly. Do you know what they missed a trick with this one on? The pod comes down. Everyone's like, oh my God, who is it? And like everyone who remembers the beginning of the film goes, well, it's Pericles, isn't it? But they missed a trick. It could have been Clyde. Pod opens up. And he gives them all the finger. And then he flies off having won. <laughs> I won the Planet of the Apes. And it was advanced. There's so much in this that just... Ships that work after thousands of years and yet intelligent apes that can't figure out that if you keep shooting a blaster bolt at a bulletproof pane of glass, eventually it's going to hit you in the head. But it doesn't. It doesn't. They defy all physics to have him still alive at the end. And they're, oh, the end bit with with this, like it's the Lincoln Memorial, but with Thade's face. And there's oh, a... a yes. the, I have worked out a way that that could happen. Yeah, okay. Right, okay. It doesn't really work when you try and pull it apart, but hey, that's It'll the do. rest of this film. <laughs> so, so yeah. Right, basically, after Mark Wahlberg flies off, right, yeah. um, basically, Thade, trapped in the ship, the Oberon, yep. finds some way to make the Oberon take off. Yep. Flies it into the wormhole. Yep. And ends up going back in time to before the point at which um, Leo crash lands back home Uh um, and finds some apes in cages somewhere and basically does what Caesar does. He, well, he, He you know, frees them from zoos and frees them from um, Uh, labs. Frees them from zoos. It's like the mid, like, it's the mid 21st century when he gets back. All of the, apes are wearing like police like human police Shit, uniforms yes, and driving right. no, no, no. regular and if cars if Thade is the lincoln memorial then that basically means he had to go back to around the time when yeah, lincoln was yeah so he where he they really frees. all of the apes ape population was either in uh, africa or london zoo yeah that's a very good point where were all these captive apes that he was supposed to free not captive yet you pointed out all of the police cars are just like designed for humans to drive in them they wouldn't if apes designed cars they wouldn't look like our cars no police uniforms wouldn't look like our uniform this was another thing as well apes wearing helmets apes have got chimps particularly have got really really hard heads they wouldn't really need helmets their armor should surely be designed to protect what is a chimp or a gorilla's uh, vulnerable weak, weak spots which would be their joints thinking too hard about this aren't yeah we? <laughs> yeah all of the um all of the, the police uniforms are the wrong shape there should be legs too short arms too long yeah Oh God! But it it doesn't make any. The whole point of this twist ending is 
as opposed to the original where it all kind of makes sense, it's like, oh, pfft, what's the ending? Um, it was not Earth all along, but now it is, but now it's not. I don't know. Now he's back in the past, but it's the future and it's apes. I, I have no idea. I'll tell you what the main difference is. With this one, I am longing for Charlton Heston to set off an atomic bomb and blow the entire world up. Really? No, not really. But no, just I just wanted Mark like, to get rid of all of this. <laughs> yeah. No, at, at one point, Mark Wahlberg holds the gun that he finds. Like, he just finds a gun and immediately points it at the head of Paul Giamatti. And I went, no, do not shoot this incredibly talented actor. Kill yourself first <laughs> every time before shooting Paul Giamatti. He must be allowed to survive. So, I mean, I've got, like, uh, bullet points here. Paul Giamatti is Limbo. Helena Bonham Carter is Ari. Michael Clark Duncan is Attar. Tim Roth is General Fade. What's to say about them? They are very intense or subdued, depending on which character they are. They say their crappy lines with conviction, that must be said, or with a sly wink, if you're Paul Giamatti, and are entertaining. They take your mind off of the, the, the dismal male lead. That's true. I, I was a bit annoyed, although I can't say I was surprised, um, by the fact that they have an opportunity here to present a lead female who does not have to conform to the usual Western standards of female beauty. And they make her conform to Western standards of female beauty. She what has very, yeah. she has very pale skin. Are we talking uh, about uh, Helen Bonham Carter here? Uh, yeah, Ari, Ari's makeup um, is uh, it's it's very um, sort of pale and pasty in comparison with the rest of the apes for no apparent reason. She is the the lightest colour ape there. Somebody pointed um, out that she looked like Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, she has. Uh, Deliberately reddened lips, which again, there's no indication that any of the other apes are wearing makeup of any kind. Um, and she has these pencil drawn, uh, perfectly symmetrical eyebrows. Now, as far as I can remember, do apes even have eyebrows? I don't remember seeing eyebrows on anybody else. And yet she has these, you know, plucked and, and perfectly sculpted um, little eyebrow lines and it's it's almost as if because part of her character is that she is attracted to Leo which it, it's kind of suggested that her whole desire to free this particular set of humans is all hinged on the fact that she is um, is in some way drawn to Leo but she's been set up as a human rights activist she's been set up as somebody who cares about humans and believes that they have potential and yet it's not until she sees this one that she's apparently attracted to that she decides to to act and to do anything about it but because she's set up as as being attracted to him it's almost like they have to make her into a mold of what the audience would consider as attractive in order that they not be repulsed by their whole concept the Lisa Marie ape uh, was the only other like lead female simian, and she most definitely has uh, the uh, the eyebrows and the, uh, the the delicate face in comparison to the, the the males, which are much more hairy. But yeah, actually, if you go back to Zira, she's definitely very apey. Well, she looks like Cornelius. They they don't look particularly different. She has slightly softened features. Yeah. But apart from that, they look very similar. It is more of a subtle distinction between the two of them, definitely. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, the 
they, they acted extremely well through their prosthetics, but not one single gorilla in all of the first five was anything like Michael Clark Duncan in this. Do you remember their like practically immobile faces? Mm, yeah, and they didn't have that big. Um, e- even the the obvious dominant males didn't have that big sweep, the crest at the back of the head. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't have the bulk. And also, there have been various sort of angry general types over the uh, the five we've seen, but none of them come close to, to, to the malevolence of Tim Roth in this. He's just like, uh, he's really getting into character. He's, his head's always pointed down, his eyes are always pointed up, and he's always glaring, always glaring, always angry. He's cartoonish in the way that he does that, and you don't really ever get to know much about him. But his little scene with Charlton Heston does show a little bit of a softer, more vulnerable side to him. So there's there's something going on. There's bits and bobs here and there. You have to take what you can get. I think what I liked about his performance actually was, and I, I was critical about this with the earlier films that they had that they they painted the chimps as pacifists. Yeah. Um, that they were basically all very friendly, generally um, much more the intellectual types. Um, and it was uh, the gorillas who were just like needlessly aggressive. Exactly. And but this time it's the way around. Chimp, yeah. Are they can tend towards quite aggressive behaviour, especially if they're caged. Um, and that was how, because um, they've, they've kind of made the chimps more the political class in this one. Um, so although Thade is a, a military general, there is an implication that he's sort of, uh, he's c- trying to curry favour with the senator and he obviously wants more of a position of power. But his reaction when he becomes angry is basically just a completely uncontrolled rage. Yeah. And all of this leaping around and, and literally smashing things. Yeah, just leaps onto you and batters you with his hands in the yeah. way that chimps it, do when they get super aggressive. Exactly. And it really made me think of, of footage where they've got a, a, a big male chimp in a zoo in a very small enclosure with more other apes around than he can psychologically cope with nothing to do utterly bored and it comes out in this (laughs) well apart from that (laughs) if he he can't do that and let off a little steam um then it comes if it comes out like steam folks (laughs) you're doing it wrong too much Um, or not enough but it, it emerges in this very overly aggressive throwing himself all about the place behavior and it just i found it really interesting that there's one particular scene where he's he's literally bouncing off the walls i mean literally bouncing off the walls and then he stops and he just turns to uh attar i think it is and says i'm so sorry my friend i was very angry and it's like is that how it works in this society? You go literally apeshit, you tear the room to pieces, and then you get to just say, I'm sorry, I was angry. It would appear so. They're still very much in touch with their, their wild side, as opposed to the uh, more civilised apes of uh, before, which again yeah. makes them different and, and uh, entertaining to watch, as opposed to the... the um, not all the apes in the previous films, by any means. The more the, the more intellectual, talky ones, uh, you know, even the arrogant ones who you uh, and like Doctor Zaius and um, Virgil, who who you actually find pompous. Those are great fun to watch. But a lot of the other apes are just sort of standing around doing not much of anything. And a lot of the other villains are, are characterized by getting very angry. But that's about all they do. They just sort of stand there. Like, like shaking their fists, like the worst of them being Aldo in the, the fifth one. He was just 
impotent with rage. In this, it tends to be more the humans that are doing that, to be honest. When they have the scene at the end, where they've got the big crowd of humans standing around. Oh. Um, all we want is what we are. They're all, they're all the just Thunderdome. looking into the middle distance. And there's one point where there's a little girl stood at the front of the crowd, a bit older than the, the one at the beginning, but still not particularly old. And um, she's kind of stood there looking down at her feet, sort of morosely. And then she glances up at the cameraman, realises she's not supposed to be looking up, and looks down again. (laughs) We did 21 takes, and that (laughs) That was was the best best one. one. Kerry Hiroki Tagawa as uh, Krull, as another uh, gorilla, Uh, there's no explanation for why this ape looks considerably more Japanese than the the other ones, But, uh, but yeah, he does. Well, except for the fact that, like I said, they do seem to have patterned the makeup after the structure of the actor's face. You, yeah. you can see their faces coming through, so it makes sense that a, a Japanese man would have a Japanese uh, appearance to his yeah. face. But again, it, it, it adds some sort of samurai feel to the uh, to that particular gorilla and distinguishes him from uh, Atar. Again, it's, it's it's just some more fun stuff for you to watch. It, it's a fun film. I'll give you that. It's stupid. It's <laughs> ponderous. Like, when I say ponderous, it doesn't want you to ponder. It's just slow. It's just slow, <laughs> yeah. And, and then the battle is unimpressive. But then, you know, cause after the battle in Battle of the Planet of the Apes, it's fucking Return of the King. Um, Chris Christopherson is there and then dead straight away. Apparently he loved Tim Burton and his entire family loved go to see every Tim Burton movie. That's how he was like straight in there, right up a drainpipe as soon as he was given the opportunity. Uh, and as I said, Paul Giamatti does a lot with his, his big crazy teeth. You pointed out that a lot of the apes tend to thought that they've really got big, great big prosthetic teeth on. And I said, well, an ape's palate is not perfect for the uh, English language. So I suppose we can let that one slide. But Giamatti uses it and like malforms his mouth and sort of like inclines his head and you know googles his eyes and uh it, it plays it for laughs and they wisely rather than giving him an arc one of his original um plans was for for limbo to become a nice guy by the end they're like no nah, let's just keep him a jerk the whole way through yeah. which is great but <gasps> what something's just occurred to me what Right. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Not that we really need to pick any more logic holes in this film, but yep. all the apes and humans on this planet are descended from the population of the Oberon, which crash-landed however many thousands of years ago, right? You didn't right? see any orangutans? You didn't see any orangutans. Let's just say you did. And you didn't see any gorillas. And oh, I'll tell yeah. you for why. Why on earth would you use gorillas in for space, space exploration oh, when it means you have God. to construct pods with seats big enough to accommodate a gorilla when all they really need to accommodate is a human? This would have made so much more sense if, like, I originally re- – re- I misremembered this film. I thought that Mark Wahlberg landed on the planet 2,000 years ago and the planet that he landed on was Earth – and that the ship had landed, say, 4,000 years ago. So they'd had 2,000 years of evolution from smart chimps to super smart apes. And then 2,000 years later, after Marky Mark goes through the time hole again, comes back, he ends up in the present day plus a few decades. It's like basically coming back from Roman times to now, but the course of history has been changed. That, I think, was what they were going for. But there's two moons in the sky, and if you pay attention, it's clearly a completely different planet. 
So it doesn't make any sense. But you see, that one that you've come up with there, that would actually have worked in a a kind of in a way because um, they would have effectively been trained uh, chimpanzees being taken back to a point where humans were less developed and less advanced in terms of their technology and their understanding than the apes. So the apes would have been in a position to potentially take over the humans. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense even if you, like, even if you try to rationalize it because the clock, it, like, the, the, the only gauge you have is whether he's going forwards or backwards in time. The clock counts forwards and says he's in the year 5000 and then goes back again and says he's in the year 2029. Um, How is his space clock doesn't make any sense? Doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Doesn't. I mean, you're, it didn't make any sense you, the first time, but it really doesn't make time, sense now. Your wristwatch doesn't literally start spinning around. <laughs> that is effectively what Just pop that it is. on your wrist. It's a time hole. And as we hate movies, who also reviewed this recently and check out their show, it's fantastic, especially their recurring Mark Wahlberg voice, said... There's also the matter of the horses, which may also have been on the space station for all of their various horse piloting experiments why do we need the sex factor here sex is all over this movie for no reason apes are getting it on man here's the odd thing about it is that fox like they were going to make the relationship between uh helen bottom carter ape and mark Wahlberg. ape uh (laughs) oh sorry human human quote unquote human Human. dude mark Wahlberg, dude (laughs) hey tim when am i getting my ape makeup Oh, fuck it, bro. The Bruins game is on. <laughs> oh, dude, are we in overtime? <laughs> oh, shit. Dude, it's sudden death. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. It's sudden death. Oh, cool. Can I bring the real-life inspiration for Turtle to set? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, bro. Can I bring the real-life inspiration for the fighter to set? <laughs> oh, he played the real guy in the movie, too? Oh, fuck, bro. I didn't even watch it. <laughs> I fucked that whole thing up. I'm sorry, Chris. (laughs) Sorry, yes. So Fox wanted to make, like, Fox boycotted them making the relationship, like, a center of the film. Were they supposed to be DTF? Yeah, well, they were supposed to, it was supposed to be a romance. It was supposed to be, Mm. like, a romance between them. Fox said it was too weird. Yeah. And yet they let this out. All of, the whole movie, like, I mean, it's even weirder because you're splitting the difference. You know, yeah. like, it's just this weird, like, they have fuck guys the whole time, and they're almost, like, getting but I would close r- up to each other. Here's the thing. I would rather see, like, you play it old Hollywood, right? Uh-huh. Like, they come together, they start, you know, ape-making out, and then, like, listen, maybe they, like, fall down on an ape bed, and you ape-fade out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And instead... What we have is – because that's a confirmation something happened, but you don't have to see it. Yeah. Instead, what we have is the fuck eyes, and then what you're realizing is like they're thinking about doing all sorts of <laughs> dirty ape human-related things to each other. No, not okay. Like, and there's no confirmation of what those things are. Like, at least if I just see him kiss and you ape fade out, yeah. it's just they kiss. Imagination the runs wild. Yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Exactly. But I, within a certain parameter. Yeah. Like this, it's like I don't know what you're thinking. You're freaking me it, out. It might be genteel rather than whatever the fuck Otho ends up being <laughs> going to do in his bedroom. Because at the end, Charlton Heston goes up to Kim Hunter and he's like, I'm going to kiss you on the lips. And she's like, but you're so ugly. And it's like, 
thank you for making the movie understand that we could never, ever have sex in any way, shape, or form. So I'm going to go fuck that other one over there. I'm going to fuck that quiet one. We hate movies. Check it out. So, yeah. Uh, in conclusion, I, you know what? I'm going to say it's if you can see this film without spending money on it, it's worth spending a couple of hours seeing what the series, and if you haven't seen it before at all, it's worth seeing to make you appreciate Rise more. I would say it's worth it for seeing the construction of the film, how they've put together the costumes and the makeup. The and last ape prosthetic costumes you're going to yeah, get. Yeah, okay. exactly. They'll, they'll do it with CG. There'd be no point not doing it with CG. Oh, speaking of which, they were going to do it with millennial rubber. One of the reasons this was so botched was that they had to go for a July 2001 release date after nearly 30 years of waiting for an, uh, a sixth Planet of the Apes film. They were like, no, 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 come on, come on. No, 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 no. We've got to get it out by July. You can't wait for a few more months for us to get the, uh, get the story really straight, for us to iron out all these creases, for us to really work on the, uh, the editing so that it actually is coherent. It finished filming in April. That means that they had, had only three months to edit this whole film together and add all the effects and just, just get the whole thing completed. So of course it was botched. And as I said, I, I am amazed it came out coherent at all. It just, it, it, boggles my mind that they rushed it at the last minute after all of this production as opposed to trying to get it done right. That's why Rise surprised everyone. They were like, a a good Planet of the Apes? Such a thing is unheard of. But here's the thing. They were going to go with CG apes. Now, remember we always talk about millennial rubber? All of these apes jumping all over the screen. Imagine that. It, with rushed CG from turn of the century stuff, like Chris Columbus levels of rubbery apes, and imagine how awful that would have been to watch. So at least, if you think about it, is this sort of last hurrah for the prosthetic side of things and the practical? To that end, it's 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 a curio at best. You kind of have to just tune out Mark Wahlberg. If you've been objecting to me saying how much I hate Mark Wahlberg the whole time, my apologies. And you'll love this film. I I don't know how anybody could. I don't think even Mark Wahlberg's mother would love this film, to be honest. See, I did like your film with the monkeys, but, uh, well, you were kind of a drag. That's all I'm saying, Marky. When are you going to do the body working out ones with your friend Michael? You know, you look so good and, uh, you, you know, you're pumping iron and stuff. And I noticed you didn't get a part for your brother. Your brother Donnie, you know, he's he's he's... <laughs> He's working with Shyamalan. He could probably get you in there. You know, Shyamalan, he's, he's going places. People are saying he's the new Hitchcock. I've seen you in the big hit. That there's a, a, a crime thriller for the ages. Here we come.
dear. Uh, so, I mean, where would you rank this in your Apes films so far? I mean, let's rank these. It rises, rises at the top, isn't it? Uh, rises at the top, definitely. By far. That that kind of goes without saying. Next. Um, I still think three. Yeah. Um, Escape. Escape from the Planet of the Apes. That's the one where uh, Zira and Cornelius come back as apenauts. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, early 70s ha- society has to sort of get used to them. That, that has some of the, the best heart. And now that we've seen all of them, you know, some of the most emotional resonance of the series. Um, I, I would say I still prefer four. Conquest. To this, Conquest, yeah. Um, the, it, it has a lot more to think about in it. Yeah. And it's got Roddy McDowell, which means that it, it's, you know, I, I really got to love him in that series probably the do I prefer the first one to this see I was thinking am I committing sacrilege asking that question do you know I the the first one is by far and away more significant than this I I would never dispute that I do prefer the first one the original Planet of the Apes because although this to a to a 21st just century palette, it could be argued that this is more watchable because my, my criticism of the, the acting that's not really acting in Planet of the Apes still stands. And at least in this, people are actually performing. Um, but it just, it falls apart so quickly and it, there's so much in it that just makes me Angry. I mean, at least in the first one, it was basically just Charlton Heston that was making me angry. <laughs> that with a better casting, like I said, yes. if, it, if it had been Robert Forster playing that pilot, yeah, if would... if they could, they could have significantly improved the first one for me. Or Sean Connery by yeah by not having Charlton Heston. Oh no, in actually, it, Sean but... Connery was a sleaze bag back in those days. It was this was just after Diamonds Are Forever. Was. <laughs> Sorry. Um, But but Sean Connery's been wonderful since then. I don't know. Easy Roy Scheider. With regards to the Tim Burton remake, you chuck out Mark Wahlberg and bring in somebody who's actually capable of acting, and you've still got problems. Yeah, true. But at the same time, if you... Who who would we have cast in in the role of Leo at this point? See, I wouldn't have... Ca- He's a terrible character. He is. He's but, I mean, a terrible but character. But there's got to be an actor who can actually pull off this character in a kind of, look, folks, I know this guy sucks, you know this guy sucks, let's try to have some fun while we're here, shall we? In 2001? Um... Oh, God. Will Smith. Oh, no, because... No, because this is after World War West and we'd already seen that Will Smith, with a shit script, has no fun. No. That's true. And also, after Earth, <laughs> as a tedious astronaut. Mm. Yeah. Directed by Shyamalan. Well, there you go then. who can make anybody boring. And it all comes together. Um, I honestly don't know. I don't know who I would have cast in that role. Oh, I know. I know. Sam Rockwell. He could not have <gasps> been boring to watch if it was Sam Rockwell as this guy. I mean, he's not sexy by... Right. Um, but, yeah, but by the standards of uh, of like Hollywood, you know, girls going to see the film and like they want to see like the boys go for Estella Warren because they're not going for the monkeys. 
This I will never wise. understand, though. <laughs> Sam Rockwell, not sexy. Have you seen Lawn, lawn dogs. dogs? The guy yes. strips naked and dives off a bridge. I've Come on. seen Lawn Dogs. You've seen Lawn Dogs, but the average... No one else has seen Lawn Dogs. Everybody, go watch Lawn Dogs. The girl that the marketers put Mark Wahlberg in there to appeal to. I don't know, like, like who they put them in. Because, like, boys don't like Mark Wahlberg either. Okay, but yeah, either way, Sam Rockwell in this film, and suddenly you got a much more entertaining film. Well, Sam Rockwell did a space movie on his own, and it was better than this. Yeah, but that had a really, really good script. So there you go. In actual fact, to improve this, they wouldn't have just had to throw out Mark Wahlberg, they would have had to throw out the entire script. Right. There are ways you could actually improve this film in the editing stage. If you'd had Sam Rockwell play him and then given them time to actually get a coherent film not shoehorned in that ending maybe like um, had him go back through the time hole but then his ship starts to malfunction and he crashes again but then the planet appears to be like it's the same planet and it's obviously the same planet uh, but it appears to have developed again like human society but just with enough Changes for it to be a believably coherent several couple of thousand years in the future society, you could actually still go with that twist. Yeah, but then you just into they have an atomic bomb and he's holding his fist up to the sky going, Damn, Damn you! You did it, you fools! <sighs> Maybe just don't try for the twist. You know what didn't have a twist? Rise. They focused on the film itself. It had moments of incredible drama instead of twists. Can't wait to review it. That's coming next, folks. Um, Okay. So, we haven't uh, finished our list, have we? Uh, Okay, yeah, I was up to four. um, And then the original Planet of the Apes. I concur that the original Planet of the Apes is, is... I may not necessarily enjoy watching it more than I enjoy the little bits and bobs here, but, but I could—I could not live with myself if I ranked this above it, even yeah. in terms of just watchability. Um, so yeah, this this goes beneath it as a, a curio, and then we're left with what? Beneath and battle. Beneath and battle, right? Beneath was botched because they rushed it, and they didn't know what the hell they were doing. Battle—they had a lot more they could have worked with, and. They didn't work out what was important, and they just, in the, in the race to the finish line, they dropped what was important. I think I'd have to say I preferred watching this one to watching either Battle or Beneath, because it at least had things in it that I enjoyed and could yeah. not really Oh yeah, no, for me, it's, it's, it's this one, and then a long, long, long way, and then Battle, and then, and then Beneath. beneath. Battle and Beneath are two just absolutely turgid examples. Now, I concur, sir. I think our lists are probably pretty similar, except did you prefer four to three? No, um, no, it's the same. I I prefer three now in respect. Uh, But again, um, the the space between three and Rise is, again, monumental, because I love Rise. And with three, there there are bits about three that I love, and I think it's a great... um, uh, it's it's a, it's a great way to take the series, but as a film itself, it's not something I'd watch repeatedly. Whereas with Rise, I could watch it again and again and still see new stuff. And at the time of recording this, we're looking forward to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, but we're recording it in uh, late April, 
months before we get to see it in July. So we'll we're going to go through a time hole. A time and then go hole. Back to before we saw it. Fortunately, so our watches will wind it. forwards. They will, so we won't get confused. Were they going by yellow submarine physics? Quite possibly. You go through the sea of holes into the sea of green. Mm-hmm. That sends you back down the time hole. Into Absolutely. General Fade's Earth all along. When we get to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, it will have become Dawn of the Planet of the Humans, and we will be sitting in a cinema full of apes watching humans take over the Earth. They would, of course, be performance capture humans played by uh, very clever and very expressive apes because you wouldn't be able to train humans to be that, to be able to act that well. No, clearly. You and certainly Mark Wahlberg can't. is the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, thank you, Charlton Heston. Okay, anything else? <laughs> what? Rick, it's that time again. It's what the whole world is waiting for now. Is every it monkey week? news? It is monkey news. Please perform live the jingle. Oh, chimpanzee! That's monkey news, you. <laughs> there we go. Right then. Well, uh, got an email from John. Um, you know, if you've got any monkey news going on in your area, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let us know. God, amazing! But there's a there's a TV channel. In uh, in Moscow, right? And I think they had a bit of bad luck or something. A lot of redundancies and that, right? And whoever was in charge of it got a bit mental and got rid of loads of people, right? Yeah. And uh, they come in the next day and they were like, right, are we ready to go live and that? And someone comes running with a clipboard saying, <laughs> we, we haven't got any people left, right, to present. That's such Right, but I'll tell you what. Right, okay, carry on, carry on. So, so he goes, what? If just one employee <laughs> turns out to be Simeon and is doing a good job, I'm never doing this radio show again. So this TV channel, you know, he's, he's having a lot of problems and that. He, they've got to go live, right? He's like, what am I going to do? Anyway, for some reason, right, there was a chimp knocking about. <laughs> For some reason, that's the key piece of information. No, well, Bucky doesn't get it. Doesn't it. Matter, we didn't get it. Matter. It doesn't 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 matter. It they can't again, talk! Don't have a go at me, have a go at John, who sent this in. Right, and, and this be quiet, is... let's hear it, let's hear it again. So anyway, so like I say, so, going live, five, four, three, two, one, what have you, chimp sat there on the chair, Um he was like, look, let's just get through tonight's show and worry about this tomorrow, right? <laughs> 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 what are you talking about? Look, so they put a chimp in a suit, Wait, what, was that handmade, or were the sleeves a bit short on him? You idiot, think! So, so anyway, it's sat there, right? And they're going, right, here we go. Good luck, everyone, right? Yeah. Uh, chimp's there. What programme is this? It's a chat show. Oh, who's, who's chat show is it? Well, it's, it's the monkeys. I like the fact that it's the monkeys now, is it? <laughs> I, like, I like the fact that they put the chimp in a suit. It's like, no one's gonna take this chat show seriously if he's not dressed up. If he's not smart. <laughs> slovenly, look at that, slovenly ape. So anyway, oh. let's, 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 you know, get to the point of it and that, right? So, anyway, so, they, they go on, right? It's all going, Going Didn't happen. There's no well, way this happened. Here's a fundamental so anyway. question. How was the chimp asking questions? 
Um, not not sure about that bit, but <laughs> all I've got is the stuff that was on the news site for this. Like I say, I've given you- But it's rubbish! Yeah, but I've given you some facts. No, I've told no, no. you, there's a TV channel in Moscow that's having problems, right? I've, I've explained that no, bit. No, it's this rubbish. They've got rid of the presenters, the monkey sat there. Right, don't worry about it anyway, I'm telling you, it goes alright. Alright. Right. Oh, anyway, okay. in case you were worried, Rick. He's sat there, right? Absolutely. You get shit. to the first break, they're like, can't believe it. Right? <laughs> you know, viewing figures and that, they're loving it, right? What, no, what happened? Right. They got the viewing figures in the break. Please and do not interrupt me. What, what did the chimp do in the, the first half? Yeah, they, had a, they had a big guest on that, that week and what And what did he do? Just talk to Who himself? They walked off. So Cher I, comes I'm on. Not, yeah. not sure, but say if it is Cher, right? No, right. the main gaffer is like going, oh, Cher's gonna go mental at us, right, for putting Say, it on. Say, no, it's Cher. In his mind, it's Cher sitting there talking to a chimp in a suit. So anyway, she And they're filming off. it for Moscow TV, and the ratings are going through the roof. <laughs> Presumably there's a translator, because Cher doesn't speak either Russian or chimp. <laughs> <laughs> she comes off, right, and the bloke who's in charge is like, she's gonna go mad. She's gonna go mad here. She walks up, she goes, I love that. <laughs> said that's one of the best interviews, right? So anyway, we decided, right? It went so well, kept him on. He's still there. I love the fact that Cher was an idea that Steve threw up, and now she's going, I love that, I love that, I love that, Jim. Get oh. me back there. I want to go to Moscow. Never mind. Don't, Unbelievable. Don't, don't have a go at me. Have a go at John, but, you know, if you've got any monkey news, send it in. Yeah.